online audience, every Sunday we look forward to you joining us. Uh, I, I want to give a shout out to Simone. She is there faithfully every Sunday. Hello there, precious sister. We appreciate you joining us faithfully every Sunday. Well, <clears throat> I uh, want to say this morning that I just feel led that because we're entering into the Thanksgiving season that we're just going to take a a brief hiatus from our sermon series on the Upside Down Kingdom. The Sermon on the Mount is a very long study. So if we uh, just consistently went through that every Sunday, every Sunday, every Sunday, it's going to be a very long time. And you'll wonder, are there any other books in the Bible that the pastor will ever preach from? So uh, when holidays come and things like that, I, I think it's good to just uh, deviate for a few weeks and change our tune. For some reason, the Lord has laid on my heart this theme, victim or victor. And I've chosen as our text, and I know I'm going to get to this sermon in a kind of roundabout way, but as I, I chose for our text, Romans 8, a very familiar passage of scripture beginning with verse 31. So I'm going to try to do what Pastor John did last Sunday. I thought, I know he didn't memorize it. He was reading it off of that monitor. <laughs> so if media could help me, wow, this is going to be a challenge. I'm a little older than Pastor John. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who could be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is it to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who is raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Aren't you thankful for that this morning? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. And may the Lord add his rich blessing to that wonderful, wonderful word that we've heard this morning. You know, it's very sad to me that we wait for Thanksgiving to start thinking about, wow, am I really a thankful Christian? How much thanksgiving do I give to God? And we, we wait for November 25th or whatever day of the year it is to say, okay, today's the day when I'm just going to really count my blessings, name them one by one, and give thanks to the Lord. I believe that as kingdom disciples, gratitude, did you hear me? Gratitude 
is to be part of our DNA. Jesus walked the earth as a human and he was filled with a heart full of gratitude. Ingratitude is a dangerous affront to a holy and gracious God. I know we never think of that because if we'd think about all the times that we were ungrateful, we never realized that we were insulting God. Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 10 that what happened to Israel in the desert, and we remember all of that, don't we? He said all of that happened so that today we can be warned not to do the same thing that they did in the desert. And he warns us if it happened to Israel, it can happen to you. And so Paul's admonition is, therefore let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. The clear message is God's judgment will fall on those who have unrepentant sin in their heart, who do not amend their ways and do what God says that we are to do in his word. So we read in verse 5 of 1 Corinthians 10, yet God was not pleased with most of them and their bodies were scattered scattered in the wilderness. What a way to die, huh? And then he lists those sins and warns us against doing the same thing that the children of Israel did. What did they do? They worshiped idols. They engaged in sexual immorality. They put Christ to the test. And what happened? These things invited the wrath and the judgment of God. And then we read in verse 10, and don't grumble as some of them did and then were destroyed by the angel of death. Now the King James Version says murmur. Don't murmur. Don't grumble. Don't complain. But that word in the original murmur means to mutter. It means to say something in a very low tone. Blah, 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 blah. Do we ever realize that God hears what we're saying under our breath? <laughs> he doesn't only hear what we say under our breath. He knows our thoughts even before we think them. <laughs> what a God. What an awesome God he is. And instead of having an attitude of gratitude, we so often live with an attitude of ingratitude. And Paul wrote, these things happened to them as examples. They were written to warn us who live at the end of the age. And if Timothy was at the end of the age, where are we today? I think the problems that Paul was saying would happen, and actually the end of the age is everything that happened after the cross. That's how true biblical interpretation understands the end of the age. But things just keep intensifying and getting worse and worse. And what does Paul warn Timothy of? That at the end of the age, and he lists this litany of awful sins, I mean violent, perverse, evil, horrible, disgusting, debauchery, and then he says, people will be ungrateful. 
What happens when we have ingratitude in our hearts? We murmur and we complain. And what happened to the children of Israel when they murmured and complained? They were destroyed by death. Instead of thanking God for all he's blessed us with, instead we keep thinking about all that we don't have. Instead of thanking God for all the answers to prayer that he's given to us, we murmur, God, I keep praying about this. Why are you not answering me? You know why it's an affront to God? Because he's been so good. He's been so faithful. He's been so gracious. He's been so merciful. And it's as if we are looking in his face and saying, God, you can't be trusted. Parent, how would you feel after you've given your life for your child and they look you in the face and say, Mom, Dad, I can't trust you. You can't trust me? I, I, I'm working my fingers to the bones so that I can put you through college. You've always had food on the table, a, a warm bed to sleep in. You've, you've gotten your latest toys. I, I mean, that would be one of the most insulting things that our children could ever say to us. They don't trust us. They don't believe that our, best, our heart has their best interest. And yet, when we murmur and complain, that's what we're saying to God. When all these years he's been faithful, all these years he's been so good, he's, he, he's always proven faithful, he's always proven good, but we want to cling to, I didn't get what I want, when I wanted, and how I wanted. So like little bratty children, we murmur and complain. So we have a choice this morning. If we want to live with an attitude of gratitude, we will live in peace and joy knowing that we have a loving Heavenly Father who cares for us. And without a grateful heart, you know what happens? We get bitter and we live in defeat and we live in discouragement. I don't want to go through life downcast feeling like, oh, I didn't get what I wanted. The truth be told, that is where many of us live and instead of having voices of thanksgiving that we raise to the Lord with hearts full of gratitude, God hears our murmuring and our complaining. And I believe this is due in part to our listening to the voice of the enemy. Now, he's the accuser not only of the brethren, he loves to accuse God. He wants us to lose our faith and our trust in a faithful God. Isn't that what he did to Adam and Eve? He hasn't changed his tactic in all these eons. He's still whispering in our ear. You love God, but does he love you? Why would he allow something like that to happen to you? The problem is that when we listen to the voice of the enemy, we listen to his lies because he is a liar, the father of lies. It's the only thing he can do. Do we understand that? He's a deceiver. And when we tune our ear onto his wavelength because we didn't get what we want, then we're opening the door wide open to what we call a victim mentality. And that's really where I want to spend most of our time this morning. 
Because when we fall prey to a victim mentality and that becomes our focus, it's all about me. Any of you ever listen to Joyce Meyer when she does that little, what about me, what about me? Look in the mirror and see the tears rolling down her eyes, pitying herself. That's not the life that God has called us to. He hasn't called us to be self-absorbed. He called us to be God-absorbed. God, I may not understand what's happening in my life right now, but I know you have a plan and I know you have a purpose. When we become self-absorbed, we are held hostage to our pain. And if it's not present pain, to past pain. And we focus on that. We galvanize our thoughts on it. And it gets us nowhere. It only sucks the joy out of life. And it hinders us from the fullness of God's blessing and moving into the destiny that God has ordained for us. It's very sad, but there are some people who have pain as their asset because they use that pain to achieve what they're looking for in life. They need to feel better. So if they could cry their sob stories and you give them sympathy, they're going to feel better. They, it's an asset, but it cripples them. I know. It feels normal. It feels safe. It feels rational. Makes you feel good. It makes you feel good when you could cry on somebody's shoulder. You're getting it out, right? It's familiar, but you need to realize it's destructive. So as we approach this Thanksgiving season, but not only this Thanksgiving season, because I just, if there's one thing that you hear this morning, Thanksgiving is a lifestyle for us as believers. Do we want God's presence? We're supposed to enter with thanksgiving. It's critical that we identify whether or not we have any shred of a victim mentality in our lives because it will always manifest in an unthankful spirit, in an ungrateful heart. And we can't possess an attitude of gratitude if we're murmuring and complaining about our status in life. I know it's difficult to admit it's actually painful. I'm a believer. Could I actually suffer with a victim mentality? Is that really who I am? I pray this morning that we'd all have our hearts open and minds open to receive whatever the Spirit of God is saying to each and every one of us. We don't want to live with a victim mentality. That will just destroy us and keep us and hinder us from all that God has for us. So to help us answer that question this morning, do I have one? I want us to look at some of the characteristics of a victim mentality. First of all, a person with a victim mentality lives with a negative mindset. The glass is always half full. It's not half empty, it's half full. If there's anything positive, they won't go on the positive, they'll go to the negative. It's all about doom and gloom. It's all about everything's going wrong. They look through the lens of their pain and it casts a spin of negativity on everything actually that comes into their life. 
Instead of seeing it coming as positive, they see it as negative. Instead of finding the positive, they turn to the wrong side each and every time. And then they look for excuses for believing why they believe what they believe. They see others who have it better than them and they get bitter and they get envious and they get covetous and they make excuses. Well, I don't have what they have because they have that and I wasn't blessed with that. They didn't have a dysfunctional family like I had. They had a good mom and dad. My mom and dad, they were psychos, right? Oh, they lived nicer neighborhood that I lived in. They had more money. You know, you come up with a, a myriad of reasons why you feel justified in pitying yourself and in seeing others who have what you want but you don't have. And if they can't blame someone else, then, you know, you can always blame the devil, right? It's the devil's fault. Man, do you know how the devil's been after me? You know, I, obviously, I believe in spiritual warfare. We all believe in spiritual warfare. We have an enemy, and we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. We understand that. But when we want to find a demon under every rock, and we never want to look within ourselves and saying, hey, could I be part of the problem here? Is there something wrong with me here? Instead of casting aspersions and, no, it's their fault. It's my wife's fault. It's my kid's fault. It's my parents' fault. It's my pastor's fault. When I pause like that, I'm just asking the Holy Spirit if I'm allowed to say something. And he said no, so I want to be obedient. You know what T.G. Jakes always said? The enemy is in a me. And we need to look in the mirror of God's word and saying, God, I want to blame this on my wife, but let me look into my own heart. Is the problem in me? See, a victim mentality never takes personal responsibility for their own actions and reactions. They always want to find someone else to blame. And as a result of living this kind of way, then they just get stuck. They back themselves against the wall into a corner. And if you, if you know a person who really has a bad case of victim mentality, it's like they're living life as if it's over. Nothing's good, nothing's happen, happy, everything's bad, everything's going from bad to worse. They can't make any progress because of this victim mentality that is holding them hostage and keeps them trapped. So how do they spend their life? They keep looking for people to cry on their shoulder. They do you know some people like that? I know some people like that. And as I said, they get their little fix and they feel better for a while. And then they want to come back and tell you the same story all over again. Now, you know, I'm not suggesting that we should ignore our pain. Because pain is real. And there are appropriate times to share that pain with someone who can help you. 
but in people who really want help, they will receive the instruction, they will receive the admonition, they will receive the exhortation, and maybe even the rebuke that will get them back onto a right path. But people with a victim mentality, they're not interested in changing. They're not interested in getting fixed. They just want a shoulder to cry on. They want to be pitied. And this is what they're most successful at, engaging in pity parties. It makes them feel good, and it makes them feel happy as they could rehash the same things over and over again, and they live a life that never, ever gets resolved. So how do we fix this victim mentality? First of all, we need to understand that holding a victim mentality is a sin against God. And we need to repent because it is a sin, because it does grieve his heart. Why does it grieve his heart? Because it comes out of a heart of unbelief. If you have a victim mentality, you're not believing God. It's filled with fear and doubt. Fear and doubt are not of God. And when I say we need to repent, understand we're not only talking about, oh, I need to shed tears, sincere tears. You know, when we come face to face with our sin, we, we don't just say, oh God, I'm sorry, because, oh, that's my Christian obligation. I can't be forgiven until I say I'm sorry. Well, God is really looking at how sincerely sorry you are. Are you really sorry? Are you sorry enough to cry about it? Are you sorry enough to get before him and say, God, like David prayed against you, and you only have I sinned and committed this evil in your sight? You know, I think if we looked at sin in that way, we would have an altogether different perspective because we think, oh, I sinned against Fallon. Fallon's a good egg. She'll just forgive me. But we're sinning against the holy God. We're sinning against the Jesus that we nailed to the cross with that sin. And that should bring us to a place of deep contrition and remorse. But repentance is not just that. For so long in Christian circles, we feel like, oh, we, did you see them crying at the altar? Well, that's the first step, but you know what the next step is? Repentance, it's a word in the Greek, metanoia, which means change and change the mind. Change how you see that sin. You love it, now you better hate it. You want to run toward it, now you better run away from it. Repentance in its essence means that our thinking patterns need to change. We need to repent because a victim mentality is disempowering us. Did you know that? God has called us to be powerful Christians, to be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. And a victim mentality just cripples us. It paralyzes us. We can't be and we can't do all that God has called us to do when we cling to it. And if we're going to live with a victim mentality in any shape or form, we're denying the truth of God's word. I'm a kingdom Christian. What, what is a kingdom Christian? Just saying Jesus is Lord. No. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. If you love me, you will do my will. If you love me, you will align your life with what my word says and not with what the woke society says. 
You know, a few weeks ago, we talked about Christians being persecuted. It is getting worse and worse, Christian friends. We better prepare ourselves. We need to prepare ourselves to be strong in the Lord and to be able to say like the apostles, we must obey God rather than man. You know, someone in the community this week wrote to our church and said, I am insulted that you would have the nerve to put on your sign, vote biblical values. Now, if a Christian church can't say vote biblical values, who is going to say, let's get in alignment with God's word so that we could be a nation that is blessed? I'm not talking about Democrat or Republican. I'm talking about getting ourselves aligned with the word of God. I'm insulted. There is separation of church and state. Change your sign. The last I checked, this is America, and we have freedom of speech. You know what's amazing about the work society? They could say whatever they want, do whatever they want. You better not only allow them, but you better embrace it. You better honor it. You better affirm it. And here we are, we have Christ and we have the truth, and we're not willing to stand courageously and boldly for what we believe. God help us. God help us. I want to live in the truth of God's word. If I believe the lies of the enemy, we see ourselves then as victims and those arrows enter into our heart. And we don't realize anymore that God says in his word that greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. Do you believe that? I know it's in the Bible, but do you believe it? Do you live it? When Satan comes with his fiery darts, when he comes with his evil temptations, you don't have to fall prey. You don't have to succumb. You don't have to lie down and say, devil, walk all over me. Get thee behind me, Satan. Greater is he who is in me than he who is in the world. Don't miss the language there. Greater is he, not up in heaven, in me. You think we need to pull God down out of heaven? He is in me. When are we going to start walking like Christ in me, the hope of glory? That's what God calls us to. It's Christ in me, in me, in me. <laughs> And that Christ in me needs the revelation of the fullness of that needs to increase day by day, day by day as we're in the word and as we're in prayer so that as we enter in these perilous days that are yet ahead, when there will be more persecution and more sin and evil that will become more pervasive, we don't need to be part of that. We'd be part of this end time glory wave that is to cover the earth even as the waters cover the sea. But it needs to be Christ in me. God has a better way for us to live our lives. You and I have a loving heavenly father. He wants us to trust him. He's been faithful all through the years. We don't need to blame others. We could just look to God and trust him. Abba in heaven wants us to know that we can 
do all things through Christ who strengthens us. <laughs> yeah, some people interpret that, well, you know, I've always wanted to be a mountain climber and I'm going to climb that mountain, literally, you know? Mountain climbing, understand, is, is a tough challenge. And so you're a Christian, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That might be true, but I don't believe that's the application. You know what the application is? You can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. You don't have to have a victim mentality. You don't have to have a pity party. You don't have to be defeated. You could rise up above your circumstances because you can do all things through Christ. You can open your mouth and praise him even when you don't feel like it, even when you're in pain, even when you're discouraged. You could say, soul, rise up. God in me is great greater than what is going on all around me. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. With his enablement, we can overcome. But it requires that we make a choice. Choose. That's the challenge in God's word. You, you see it, you read it over and over. Choose. God says, I have given you a will. I didn't call you to be a robot. And how does he get glory? He gets glory when he sees that we are choosing him over our carnal nature. When we're choosing him over the world. When we're choosing him instead of the devil. He's a far better choice. Are you choosing him, saints? Let's choose him. There's a famous Austrian psychiatrist who was a Holocaust survivor. His name was Viktor Frankl. Some of you readers might be familiar because he was a very prolific author. But he discovered that amid the horrors of being in Auschwitz in concentration camps for three years, he chose to live. So many people gave up their circumstances were so horrific, so painful, so overwhelmingly impossible. I'd rather die than, than have to deal with, with this. Let me die, let me die. But Viktor Frankl made the choice to live. And with the other schools of psychology, his became logotherapy where he put down Freud and he put down the other great school of psychology. And he says, no, logotherapy is what will bring you into a meaningful life. Not sex, as Freud advocated, but logotherapy, which means there is purpose for me in life, regardless of what my circumstances may be. And if you're discouraged today, can it be as bad as what he endured three years in a concentration camp? And even as an unbeliever, understanding that God, he believed in God, he believed that God created him with the ability to reason righteously. And not to say, I'm a victim. I got caught and now I've got I've to deal with this, let me die. No, I'm going to live. Choose life. If we don't choose life, we choose death. 
<laughs> that's, that, that's the alternative. Choose life. Life that is abundant. Jesus said, I've come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. Let's admit it. We don't always live in the abundance of the life that Christ came to give. You know why? Because we're listening to the victim mentality. I love reading about the saints because they inspire me. Those people who walk so close to God. They lived, many of them lived in poverty, in pain, in deprivation. But they lived in such close fellowship with God. Samuel Rutherford was in prison. He actually died in prison. And he wrote those beautiful letters that spoke about the ecstasy and the glory of being in God's presence like he had never known it, even in a dungeon. That's why Paul and Silas were able to praise in that dungeon, because they knew God, Christ in me, the hope of glory. You know, sometimes we say, I'm in a bad situation here. God, please come rescue me out of this. But you know, there are times and situations in our life when the Bible teaches us another theology, and that theology is found in Isaiah 61. We read that Jesus came to open prison doors to those that are bound. Now, we miss this because we often think that that means that Jesus came to take the prisoners out. No, he opens the prison doors, and now it's up to the prisoner to say, the doors are open. I can walk out of this prison. Are we doing it? Honey, I don't know if I'm telling your little illustration right, but you often talk about people that are in prison and God gives them the key. And they could get out. They have the key, but they, they just continue to stay there. Does that make any sense? <laughs> That's the victim mentality. Oh, there, there's an answer, but I'd rather just stay here so I could keep pitying myself. I, I'd rather just stay here so I, I could just keep crying in my soup. When God says, get out of that prison, I've got a life for you to live. I've got a calling for you to fulfill. I've got an anointing for you to experience as you live your life for me and for my glory. We all need to be encouraged to look the story that we're telling today, what kind of story are we telling? And we have to ask ourselves honestly, what's the narrative that we're sharing with others? When we talk to others, we, we tell them about how hard life is, about how the enemy's beaten us up and how discouraged and defeated we are. Is that the narrative? And more importantly, what is our self-talk? Because how we talk to ourselves is so critical and important. David, when he was in a desperate situation, the Bible says he encouraged himself in the Lord. He had every right to feel like throwing his hands up in despair. I mean, his wife and all the children of his army were all taken from them. And now the men that were most loyal to him, ready to kill him. David, why'd you allow this to happen? David had to look in the mirror and encourage himself in the Lord. That's what we need to do, 
instead of falling prey to a victim mentality. One blogger said this so poignantly, the story that we carry can be littered with chapters of unhealed pain. Some of us need to think about that. See, if we have unhealed pain, that opens the door to a victim mentality. Distorted perspectives and limited thinking. Wow, that sentence preaches a sermon right there. The story that you and I carry can be littered with chapters of unhealed pain. Distorted perspectives and limited thinking. And we can carry that story into many different situations, projecting it even onto future encounters. You know what God's saying to some of us today? When are you going to get over it and move on? I know it's life's reality that all of us, behind every face there is a story. I have a story, Kathy has a story, we all have a story. We all have had heartaches, we've all had unjustified pain, hurt, disappointment, discouragement. Life is brutal. God's word says, the sun and the rain fall on the just and the unjust because we're Christians, we're not exempt. We are not exempt. God bless Mandela. She was doing evangelism a couple weeks ago. And just with so much zeal in her heart to share the love of God and to promote High Street Worship Center. You're looking for a good church? Here's a good church. <laughs> Thank you, Vandella. And the rain fell on her. She was rushing around to go out for an appointment. She fell down the steps. But thank God that the angels of the Lord were encamped around about her. She could have broken bones. She could have had a serious injury. I think some of those things happen to us because it reveals to us that God is watching over us. And what the enemy intends for evil, only God has the ability and the power to turn it around and use it for good. That's his word, Romans 8, 28. For we know, do you know today? Are you, is your heart filled with the assurance and the confidence today that all things are working together for good to those who love God and are called according to his truth? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I'm closing with this this morning. The real clincher is this our healing and our wholeness that delivers us from a victim mentality and mindset only comes if we really, really want it. Do you really want it? How desperate are you for it? Those who live a life of victory over sin, over addiction, it's because they choose to overcome. With God's help, of course, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That's why Jesus said to the man at the pool of Bethesda in John 4, 4, wilt thou be made whole? 
do you really, really, really want to be healed? Do you really, really, really want to get rid of that baggage that has held you hell-bound all your life? Defeated you all your life? Discouraged you all of your life? Do you really, really, really want Jesus to deliver you and set you free? He's opened the prison doors. Do you really want to walk out? Jesus saw that this man res was resigned to his lot. I mean, 38 years. Whew. Talk about giving up hope. Is there hope for me? 38 years I've been dealing with this. There's always hope with God. Some of us have given up hope because we feel like ever since I turned 50, this is what has happened to me. Jesus is still the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's looking for us to lay a tenacious claim to what is ours as his redeemed. He's looking for us to say, God, I'm willing, show me whatever you need to show me that is hindering me from receiving the miracle that you want to give. That's one of the reasons why sometimes we don't get what we're looking for. Because God is saying, before I give you that, you need to deal with this. And we're not willing to deal with that. Well, as we enter this Thanksgiving season, Christian friends, I want us to enter it with a heart of true thanksgiving. Not the ritualistic, oh, I, I thank God. For, I, I, I thank, it's just words. <laughs> but with real rejoicing and victory in your heart because you thank God you know who he is. He is your Lord. He is your Savior. He's your healer. He's your baptizer. He's your soon coming king. He is your all in all. He is the altogether lovely one. He is your alpha. He is your omega. He's the beginning and he is the end. And you trust in him. For those who trust in the Lord shall be as Mount Zion. They can never be moved. So this is my encouragement as we close this morning. Let's get our eyes off of ourselves. Let's rise up out of our pity party. Let's renounce our victim uh, mentality and say, Lord, I thank you because you are everything to me, everything that I need, everything that I'll ever want, everything that my heart desires, and I want you, and I give my life to you. Everything. I'm going to give thanks. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. What's God's will for my life? There it is. There it is. We're just so focused on, is it that new job? Is it that new house? Give thanks in everything and God's going to direct your paths. Love God with all your heart, your mind, your soul, and your strength. And goodness and mercy is going to chase you down the street. <laughs> Let's stand this morning as we close by singing that song, Jesus, I thank you. And from the depth of your heart, I want you to thank him this morning and give him praise because he is so worthy. Amen.